Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we bring you the national theater news and tell you what it means for your local, independent, nonprofit theater that can't even buy paint this week. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. I haven't even talked to my producing team about my paint budget. Why you got to bring up a sore spot, Ryan? I wasn't even talking about your show. I was talking about my show, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) This week we've got uh, Leah Michelle doing some stuff. We've got uh, some more stunt casting. We've got some other national news to talk about, but we're going to start small first, start local, because we're both in shows and we can't shut up about them. It's true. Your show is coming up first. As of this recording, you open in two weeks, don't you? Yeah, we opened in two weeks. Um, I forgot what it was like to be like scared as an actor on stage of like, oh my God, this is happening how soon? We've only had however many rehearsals. Um, and I am, as of recording, uh, oh, eight days from tech. So we'll see how this goes. Plus, it's a two-weekend run. So I don't remember how to do that at all. Right, yeah. It's been a long time since I've done a two-weekend run. It's been a long time since I've acted in a two-week... Well... You know what? That's not even what defines a long time. Sorry, I'm going all over as I process the sentence. Well, so I'm defining a long time as the last time I acted was six years ago. Okay. If we don't count podcasting. And I directed Secret Garden in 2018, and that was a two weekend run. And then I performed in some Black Swamp shows in 2016, 2017. And those were two week runs. So I guess if you're like, I was what? That was six. Years ago, six, seven years ago? Five years is half of a decade, and that's a long time, I think. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's a a good benchmark. It's been a while. It has been a while indeed. But, uh, yeah, my show is uh, five women wearing the same dress. Black Swamp Players is two weekends in September. It's going to be great. Um, It's great for me because I get to sit and watch five very funny women just go at it for like an hour and a half, and then I show up. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm not saving it. I'm not making it. I'm just closing it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And if you're listening to this, when you're listening to this, if you listen to this when it drops, you still have chances to go see that show, too. I didn't realize we were going to be doing so much shameless self-promo, but I'm here for it. <laughs> but your show is farther away at this point. Uh, slightly. Slightly. But it is it is coming up rapidly. And I am so I think stressed. we can do something with this because we haven't gotten to like talk all the way through a rehearsal mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Granted, we only do so many episodes, but I think a lot of people think of shows and the rehearsal. Uh, you think of the show, you think of maybe the tech week where the actors and the technicians and all, all of the magic comes together and people know about that. But what does the early stage of your rehearsal process look like, especially for a musical? And I'm guessing that our listeners would be interested, too, because that is stuff that's just not talked about. It's not. And and it really is going to vary by show and by director. And for me, by schedule. So this is a very busy time of year for me. I have a lot going on that's not my show. And uh, you asked, what's the early part of your rehearsal process look like? To this point, chaos. It's been very chaotic (laughs) um, with things just outside of my control and the fact that we had a massive delay getting our scripts delivered. And so I couldn't start rehearsing when I wanted to start rehearsing. And then I was out of town for a wedding. And another problem. I've got 
uh, the Black Swamp Arts Festival is coming up next weekend, which is knocking me out for like four straight days. I can't do any rehearsing during the festival because I literally am working the entire festival. Many problems. On top of that, one of my members of my production team has been in the hospital. And so we've had to cancel those rehearsals. It's been crazy. Um, But in an ideal world, for a musical specifically, I front load with music work usually. Um, I spend a lot of the first week or so two weeks really hitting the music very hard depending on how integral it is to the story and how much there is because there's a lot of work in a scene that you can't really do until the kids know the song or the actors know the song and I also then try to get blocking for the whole show done within the first two weeks is kind of my goal Mm -hmm. that has not happened on this show um, at all I still have about a third of the show left to block and we are at that two-week mark and i'm only panicking a little bit it's fine it'll all come together it always comes together no matter how panicked i am in the early stages but i uh my initial rehearsal calendar that i sent out only went through the end of black swamp weekend and i sat down tonight to like try and flesh out more of it and finish it up and i needed to include a list of what haven't we actually gotten to yet because things that were on the calendar had to get canceled or moved or shifted and when I was looking at the list of this is everything that still needs to be done, I was like, whoo, that's a longer list than I would like. That's what you want. There you go. Mm, but it's it's going to be fine. I am confident. I'm not entirely confident about the preview performance we're supposed to do on Saturday of Black Swamp Weekend. That's I'm soon. That's very concerned about that scene in particular. <laughs> Especially because so, it's supposed to be a dance number, and it was my choreographer who was not available to do the dance. Yeah. So we only so just one of my favorite yesterday. parts of what we get to do here is we just get to talk about what we do, and then the other person gets to translate. Yes. So for those of you listening along, uh, blocking is what the actors are told to do on stage. So their movements. Um, when they cross to either side of the stage or move upstage or downstage, closer to the audience, closer to the scenery, um, when they're supposed to interact with each other, um, and that's the director's job to figure it out. And that differs from choreography, um, whereas choreography is definitely more dance-based, like we would call it movement-based maybe, um, and is usually to music, um, and that's my definition of that. It can be a real fine line figuring out, hey, is this blocking or is this choreography? Whose job is this? And choreographer? What do you think? Yeah. As directors, you and I work with the same choreographer. Um, yes. So I'm interested sometimes to know how you have that conversation with him versus me having that uh-huh. conversation with him. And he's always said for my shows that my word is the final word. So he's going to come in and he's going to do his thing. And if I don't like it, I can change it. I We do in Horizon what's called Cassie choreography sometimes where it's like this song I don't want to bring – I don't need to bring Tim in. It's mostly just blocking through. But I'm going to give you a little bit of choreography here, like a little bit of these movements. Um, and it's Cassie choreography and it's vastly inferior to Tim choreography. Um, and it's it's – I only bring it out with songs where I know that the choreography doesn't wildly matter or when I want it to be, like, ridiculous. So in the musical 13, there's a song called Being a Geek, 
And I choreographed the geek chorus in the back of that because I was like, okay, we're going to go stereotypical dance moves. We're going to have them doing jazz squares. We're going to have them doing the airplane with their arms. We're going to have them doing the like, you know, the sprinkler and all that kind of stuff. I can handle that. That's that's my level. There you go. That's right in your wheelhouse right there. Working with Tim, I let him do pretty much everything slash I want him to do pretty much everything because uh, it's why he's there. That's kind of my mindset. I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. Tim, you're here to do this. Also, also he teaches dance, so he can uh, kind of instruct the students in a way that I know is coming from like a good pedagogical place. And it's not just here are the very specific moves I need you to do for this show, and then I don't care anymore. There's a there's a basis there, and I know the kids are getting more out of it than that. So we do have dance day every week, um, and. Uh, the kids just mark it on their calendars. It's great. Uh, we have vocal day, we have dance day, and then the other two days are usually blocking days. Um, and My kingdom uh, to be able to do that. How many days do you rehearse every week? It depends. Here's the thing. My company, it's not attached to a single school. It is mm-hmm. a community company. We pull from about six or seven different schools. And so when I make a rehearsal schedule and I have my list of conflicts, I am working around six or seven different schools worth of conflicts. And so it's it's not as simple as like, hey, you're staying after school for three hours today for rehearsal. And I've got I'm pulling from the same pool of people. Mm -hmm. And so I can't do like this is a music day and this is a dance day because if I do that, there's like always going to be a kid who can't make that day because of another conflict that they have. And so my rehearsal schedule gets very sporadic. And at this point we are rehearsing like six days a week, but that's me. I'm there six days a week. And Mm -hmm. like my main character is there almost all the six days, but everybody else, because of how widely divided this show is, is only coming right now, maybe two days a week. If that I tried doing rehearsals like right after the school bell uh, once or twice and it just didn't work there were too many other activities um too many kids have to ride the bus home uh it just it just didn't work so i switched to evenings and i'm never going back um but there is sometimes a kid or two that we have to kind of make adjustments for figure out like okay you can't be here on choreography night and how are we going to fix that? Like, what are we going to do? Um, so we just generally have those conversations up front with the parents. And things usually work out or sometimes the kid drops. I pretty much always have at least one or two drop every yeah. show without fail. And then I get to rearrange everything. But it works out so far. Um, I think a one major difference, though, is that... Um, and this can get into a much deeper conversation about how much you despise junior musicals, which I think we should save for another time and put on that list. I'm putting it on my post-it. There you go. Uh, I serve as my own musical to- music director. So I, c- I can just do all of that. Oh, I don't. Nobody wants that. Because I do that, what I end up doing is instead of having a music director, I have an assistant director who also stage manages um, and I have found I uh, through trial and error that the best way for me to figure out how to block this show is for me to teach all the music and then block all of the leads, but not the ensemble. Mm-hmm. 
and then I can turn all of that the 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 fleshing out of the scenes, the blocking of the ensemble. I turn all of that over to uh, my assistant director, who is now Christina, uh, and then Tim doing choreography, and they just get to go ham and do whatever they want. Where I'm working with people on music, um, so it's a it's a bit different than how we learned, but it's working. But I think it only works because I have a very specific uh, production team around me. Right. And that's always going to be the thing. Like, it's always going to be different than what you're taught in school Mm -hmm. for, like, this is how you should direct. You're always going to have to match it to the group that that you're a part of and how they function. And honestly, sometimes I wish I was a little less accommodating. Sometimes I wish I, I did put my foot down a little bit more and say, no, you can't do our show if you're also doing all these other things. But I also mm-hmm. am very aware that if I ask kids to prioritize my group over everything else that they're doing, I will lose probably 60% of the kids I have right now. Yeah, and I can't afford to do that. And Big so problem. I kind of feel like I have to be super accommodating that way. But I do put my foot down about like the last two weeks. You have to prioritize my show, mm-hmm. our show, you know, because that's when we need all the pieces there. That's when we need everybody right. coming together. Right. That's the best conversation with parents, especially when they their kids haven't done theater yet. Because um, so many of my middle schoolers have not done a show before they walk into my theater, mm-hmm. which is really cool because uh, we get to mold them. But also sucks because nobody has told anyone anything. Like nobody knows anything. There's so good and bad. Hamilton touring at the Stranahan right now has been the bane of my existence for the past two weekends. Oh, I'm sure. We've had, uh, I've seen at least one person post on Facebook every night about them being at the show. Because I have gotten three at this point, three text messages from my actors less than 24 hours before a rehearsal saying, my parents surprised me with tickets to Hamilton, so I won't be at rehearsal. And I'm like, cool, have fun, enjoy the show. I'm really glad you get to have that opportunity. You are one of three people in this scene, somebody else is sick. I've now lost an hour and a half of work because yep. I cannot reschedule on that short notice. Yep. Yeah. The Hamilton of it all. The and Hamilton it's a, and it's of because it all. it's and it's because it's Hamilton. Like if it were basically any other show coming through town right now, it wouldn't matter as much. Yeah. It's because it's Hamilton. Yep. It's because it's Hamilton. It's the name recognition and everything that goes into it. Uh, and on that note, uh, we're going to transition from Hamilton to stunt casting. Yeah, because uh, yeah. this week... That was not a clean segue. It was, was not, but it's okay. Not clean. Ryan, one of my other podcasts is Shakespeare with Beth. You're doing better than Beth does. Well, it's a low <laughs> bar, but thank you. <laughs> Because we miss uh, you, this Beth. week, we miss you, Beth. We love you, Beth. Um, but this upcoming week is when Leah Michelle is joining the company of Funny Girl. I'm sorry, who? Leah Michelle. Should I recognize that name? I mean, maybe she's pretty obscure. Not a lot of people know her. She was on this really tiny TV show that, like, it only got a, a few seasons. It wasn't really a big household name. It's called Glee. Yeah. 
I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't do very well, I remember. Like, no, I don't, no, I don't remember nobody people speaking highly of it. No, absolutely. It only lasted, like, part of a season, right? Yeah, there's no cult following whatsoever. Hi, everyone. My name is Ryan. I'm a diehard Gleek. Thus ends the bit. I tried, man. I tried. I watched three quarters of the first season. Mm-hmm. And I think I literally stopped watching, like, right before the season finale and was like, I'm kind of done with this. Yep. Okay, but I think this is exactly our age difference. When did Glee season one come out for you? Oh, I was in college. Exactly. I was not in college yet. Aha. That is the difference. I forget about our age difference most of the time. But you are a solid four or five years younger than I am, I think. Four or five, yeah. My senior year of high school was the first season of Glee. When did you graduate? 2010. Yeah, I graduated 2006. So there's four years of difference between us, and I forget about that most of the time. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) But yeah, Glee's a thing. Leah Michelle's a thing. And uh, she disappeared from the world, got married, had a kid, and uh, it seemed like she was content to fade into obscurity, but we all know better than that. Mm Mm-hmm. So she is back. She's uh, all of her Glee dreams are coming true. She gets to play Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl, and uh, everyone is uh, just so happy for her um, to see her lifelong dream come true. And certainly, no one got stepped on or thrown yeah. out along the way. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a really good chance that you are already familiar with the whole. Or at least pieces of the whole Beanie Feldstein funny girl leaving the part, all that kind of drama that happened a couple uh, months ago now, I guess. It's been a couple months at this point. It's been a couple months. I don't know how much of that I want to speculate on because I know that we don't have all the details. There's a lot of people trying to guess and piece together what happened. And I know that I don't know enough information to really have you know, a solid opinion on she's going to get to write an autobiography in like a year and a half. And yeah. I cannot wait to read that. Yeah. But the conversation that I'm interested in having surrounding this is this concept of stunt casting. So if you're not familiar with that term, stunt casting is when a show will bring in a big name star to play a mm-hmm. role because they're trying to pull people to the show for a variety of reasons. It can be because yep. the show is starting to lose money and they want to bring an influx of people in to see it to turn their numbers around. Um, yep. Or even just to start a show that way, like Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster being in the Music Man when it revived. Like, they weren't replacing anybody, but that's how they were getting people in 2022 to go see a Music Man revival. Yep. And paying out the nose for it. Yeah. That's its own conversation. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Broadway price gouging. Um, But sometimes I think stunt casting can be good. Sometimes it's bad. Being a stunt cast doesn't mean that they're not good for the part. It doesn't mean that they Correct. can't play the part well. It Correct. just means that the the primary reason behind casting them 
is because of the big name draw. Yes. Yes. Uh, Notably, the example is Chicago on Broadway, because that show has been running for decades and just switches out cast whenever they want to. Um, just to resell tickets so people can go watch other famous people play the roles. It has gotten to a point of complete stunt casting because we're not talking about other A-list Broadway people going in and playing those roles most of the time. We're talking about famous people. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, Tony Award winners and trained Broadway vets. Um, on that note... Uh, I don't know why he's doing it, but uh, Brandon Victor Dixon is going back into Chicago. Okay. To play Billy Flynn. All right. So uh, I guess he needed a paycheck. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's a whole other list of things he could be doing. But Leah Michelle, uh, Leah was on Glee. She played Rachel. Everybody loved her or hated her, depending on the episode. There was a large plot line in the episode was that character getting to portray Fanny Bryce in a revival of Funny Girl on the show, uh, which was made, uh, you know, even more, you know, likely that we all thought it was going to happen, especially when Glee was happening, because uh, Ryan Murphy uh, had the rights for the revival, I believe, mm-hmm. um, like in his back pocket somehow. And he uh, was the showrunner of Glee, so they already had that relationship. So we all assumed it was happening. And then it didn't happen. And then it didn't happen. And then it didn't happen. And then there was a pandemic. And then they announced the revival of Funny Girl starring Beanie Feldstein. And we won't go into the whole everything of everything. Um, Nobody was really totally sure what happened, but Beanie was pretty good until the critics said she was terrible. And then it was a whole thing, and now she's leaving the show. Jane Lynch, who was in the show and worked with Leah on Glee, is also leaving right before Leah comes in. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, but in the interim, we've had, uh, uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? Jane. Name's something. Julie. Julie something. I think. Jane. Julie. Julie Tanko. I follow her on. I follow her on TikTok. I follow her on TikTok as well. I'm pretty sure that's her name. She's delightful on TikTok, and it has been great to see, like, the backstage of it, but also to see her just, like, overjoyed at all times to be getting to just do this really awesome thing and play this giant role. But now Leah's in, or uh, as of the time you're listening to this, Leah's in, and I'm really sad that I have to go see it. It's not the show that I want to go see. It's not the one that I really care about and want to spend the money on. But I got to do it. And I don't know how I'm going to... I got to figure it out. But... And that's why stunt casting can work. Yeah. And it kind of gets you into a conversation of why certain people fail in roles while other people succeed in roles. Especially when you have a role like Fanny Bryce that was made so iconically famous by one single performer. And that is, of yes. course, Barbara Streisand. And you have to ask the question as a director of, are you trying to reinvent this part? Or are you trying mm-hmm. to find someone who can recreate what is so well-known and well-loved? Yes. And I feel like with Beanie Feldstein, we were trying to reinvent. And when that didn't work... Now we're trying to recreate. It's the problem I think we see with a lot of revivals is uh, 
I mean, the word revival in and of itself kind of connotes holding the essence of the original, right? Like there's an idea that this worked before or there's enough here that we need to tell the story again or people want to see us tell the story again. And how much should we keep? How much do we keep? Is there anything we need to get rid of because uh, times are different for whatever reason? And there's some things like Music Man uh, is pretty pretty straightforward. The Music Man is the Music Man. It's not really going to change much no matter how many times you revive it. But with something like Funny Girl, it really felt like they could push the needle in a couple different ways. And mm-hmm. I think they tried to. And I think instead critics and audiences were expecting... Uh, Barbara Streisand 2.0. Right. And now I think they're getting Barbara Streisand 2.0, especially because they are adding a song Mm -hmm. into the show for Leah to sing that is from the movie. Yes. It is a song from the Barbara Streisand movie and it's being put back in the show for her. And so I think that that's, that's part of the conversation. And I think it's, I don't know. I feel like, there's a bit of an unfair expectation with that because there's not this freedom to reimagine a show. And I think if you think about this done on a smaller scale, so thinking about like regional productions, I know that there always seems to be with the theaters in our area, like a cascade effect of a show. One person will do a show and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. all of the theaters in this area are doing that same show. A few years ago it was Shrek. Everybody was doing Shrek. Uh, right now, it's Mamma Mia and Little Mermaid. Everybody yep. is doing those two shows. And you're just inviting comparisons every yes. time that happens. And that's why my rule, I try really hard not to do a show that somebody around us has done in the last like sure. three or four years. And I have now been directing long enough that I have had to establish my repeat rule for myself. I won't repeat direct a show until everybody or nearly everybody who was in it the first time has left our program that's a good rule mine is basically the same um, but my program is in middle school so it's only three years Mm -hmm. so it's a little easier to repeat I've only ever repeated one and that was Beauty and the Beast Um, but I had a bell so it worked out right exactly yeah yeah but, but yeah, the idea around all of this stunt casting, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I do also like to point out an example that where it really did work for a show. Um, and that was How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying from like, I don't know, like what, eight, nine years ago? Something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe 10 years ago at this point. Um, not a super well-known show, um, but they figured out how to do it. They got enough people around that to make it good. And then they put Daniel Radcliffe in the leading role. And he could mostly sing, and he could act, and he figured out how to dance, and he was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And then there were two replacements for that show. Do you remember who they were? They were Darren Chris and Nick Jonas, I think. One of the Darren Chris and Nick Jonas. So, strangely enough, that show holds some kind of records for, like, consecutive sellouts of a Mm -hmm. revival because of the very specific... Uh, casting choices that they made for the lead role, knowing that those were three separate audience pools. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and that's how stunt casting can work, I think. Um, side note, uh, all, by all reports, all three of them were very different in that role, but were all good for different reasons. Yeah, and that's – you have to be able to have the freedom to make that part your own. And it's hard when there is an iconic performance. So I think with How to Succeed, I can't think of like a super iconic, like original performance that everybody's kind of holding up as the pinnacle, you know? I think that helps. That does help, I think, because you mentioned Music Man. And I just remember in 2003, in the early 2000s. 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago. Oh, why would you do that to me? Stop. Rude. Oh, just going to crumble dust in the corner. In the early (laughs) 2000s, ABC Disney Family Channel did a remake of a bunch of movie musicals. They Mm -hmm. did Annie with Victor Garber and they did uh, Music Man with Matthew Broderick playing Harold Hill. Matthew Broderick did not do a good job playing Harold Hill. And one of the reasons, my older brother and I have discussed this at length, one of the reasons why his performance fell so flat is because he was trying so hard not to be Robert Preston, who originated the role on Broadway and who was uh, Harold Till in the original movie musical that was made. But the problem Mm -hmm. with that is that Harold Till was written for Robert Preston to play. Yes. They wrote the role for this man. And so in that instance, you do have to have at least a little bit of Robert Preston. Yeah, it's the whole point. It's the whole point. And right. then find a way to make it your own on top of that, which he did not do. Um, but that's the that's the tricky part of stunt casting, especially when you are going up against a very well-known performance. You're yeah. always going to invite that comparison. Always, without question. I think the last thing I want to say about this is that uh, we think of Funny Girl as, um, I think people would be able to say that Barbara Streisand was in Funny Girl far quicker than they'd be able to identify what the character's name was. Yeah, probably. That was the That's the movie with Barbara Streisand in it, and she sings. And I think the difference is that's what Leah Michelle wants. Mm-hmm. Be, she wants people to recognize it as, oh, Leah saying that. Yeah. Not what character she was playing. Um, and for better or worse, that's why I think it's going to work with her in that role. On the other hand, I am very excited to hear her duet with uh, Ramin Karimlu. True. Yes. And I'm sure I said his name wrong, but I am very excited to hear that. And you know they're going to record some things. Yes, I imagine we're going to get a lot of promotional clips of that. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I know what we need to talk about, Cassie. What do we need to talk about, Ryan? So we're both Shakespeare people. We are. We are. I have a whole uh, podcast about it. Love it very much. I was on that podcast. And there is a new musical... Have you heard about this? Are you talking about Anne Juliet? I am talking about Anne Juliet. Let's talk about that. Because I'm very excited. I don't care if it's bad. I kind of want it to be bad. 
Like, oh. I want it to be one of those, like, oh, it's so bad, it's good, and I love it. And Juliet's going to have a hard time escaping bad for me because it is a jukebox musical. Have I gone on my it jukebox is... musical this podcast or was it on my fairy tale podcast? That was your fairy tale podcast. You have not ranted about jukebox I, musicals on this one. I hate jukebox musicals. I have yet to listen to or see a jukebox musical that I actually feel like it worked. Do not come for me, Mamma Mia fans. Don't come for me. Okay, I'm on your side about Mamma Mia for sure. Um, there are a lot of jukebox musicals. For those of you listening along at home, uh, jukebox musical is a musical where the songs were not written for the show. So the idea of something like Hamilton, where the songs were written for the show and they move the plot forward and they're all uh, uh, integral and... Um, mix well with the dialogue and it all kind of flows and makes sense that's a musical a jukebox musical is when you take 20 songs written by sting and turn it into a show or the beatles or elton john or david bowie or whoever and the only times i think it even comes close to working is when you are writing a musical that is about the artists who wrote those songs and the songs themselves mm-hmm. are becoming diegetic in the musical which means that they are they exist in world of the story so it's not yes. that people always complain people who don't like musical theater complain about like people don't break into song in real life well no, people in real life of the musical aren't breaking into song either in the world of the show. This character does not turn and start singing to this other character usually. Those songs are right. non-diegetic. It means they don't exist in the world of the play. But there are jukebox musicals. I think MJ right now is a good example of this mm-hmm. one. Um, the Carol King musical. like Shows like mm-hmm. that are going to use the music of those artists and put it into a show about that artist's life and being a creator. Those songs become diegetic. They exist within the world of the show. That can almost work. But anything else, it's Im- almost impossible for those songs to actually contribute to the structure of the story that you're telling because that was not the intention when they were being written. So it's going to give you a lot of like maybe internal monologue of a character but it's not going to move the yes. story forward. It's just we're going to take a break and sing an ABBA song. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's got to be a chorus because it's an ABBA song. So th- I enjoy listening to jukebox musicals. Well, not all of them. Some of them. I generally don't enjoy seeing them performed. Right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the, li- the line I think for me is generally I don't like seeing them performed because the story is only so much um, – the Greatest Showman kind of feels like that in a sense of like, I love all of this music, but the film isn't great. Like it needed like 15 more minutes of dialogue. There's other shows that take music um, and it can be not just from one artist. A lot of times it is from one artist because it's a lot easier to get the rights because then that person signs off on, yes, you can use whatever of my music you want. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Here's what I'm thinking. And then you just work with the one person. And that is way simpler to do. Then you have other shows that take music from like 70 different places, specifically Moulin Rouge. It works. I don't know how it works, but it's because they weren't limited to 
just one artist. They could kind of pick and choose and cherry pick from wherever they wanted, and then they had to go to 30 different people and get the rights to half of a verse or a chorus and a bridge or something, and then meshed it with the movie music, and it works, but I can only imagine how expensive that is Mm -hmm. to do. But generally, no, they they don't work super well but I like the music. And that brings us all the way back to and Juliet. And Juliet is a full-on jukebox musical. Um imagining what if Juliet doesn't kill herself. And listen, I'm here for that. I'm yes, here for too. that aspect of it. However, I also think that this one is like huh, for me because this is the music of my childhood that is now being used as a jukebox musical and by my childhood i mean it was written when i was a child that's not what i was listening to as a child um but we're talking like britney spears and nsync yep. and backstreet oh Boys. i found a song list i found a song list Mm-hmm. oh boy oh my gosh uh, stronger. So what? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I want it that way, baby. One more time. Larger uh, than life. Love me like you do. I want it that way. Uh, Not a domino. girl. That's Not a little yet newer. A woman. I kissed a girl and roar. So Katy Perry's in here. Can't Oops, stop the feeling. Again. Can't stop the feeling. There's so many songs in this. There's so much. And there is uh, a full-on West End cast recording of this. Uh, and it is created by the Emmy-winning writer of Shit's Creek. Well, I'm going to say writer from Shit's Creek because uh, Dan Levy did not write this musical. No, David West Reed did. Listen, I am very intrigued by the premise of this show. I have seen a couple very small clips of some of the songs and the dancing, and it looks high energy and like a bop. Yeah. But I... mm. It kind of feels like six. It kind of feels like six. Just with songs that you already know. Yeah. And I'm here for it. I want to watch it. I want to see it. Uh, And we'll go from there. Um, I do love the logo, though. Did you see the logo? Yes. The logo is very, very cool. It's a heart. That's very electric, and it's got gold-plated uh, headphones around it. I'm very excited. There's life after Romeo. That's the truth. That's the truth. Life after Romeo. As we're wrapping up here, have you heard from the ghost? I'll tell you what. If we really want mm-hmm. to like develop the lore of this ghost, what we need to do is invite uh, my students to be on the podcast because we're we're rehearsing our show right now partially at Otsego High School, which is a local high school that our mm-hmm. friend Kelly teaches at, so she's been able to get us that as rehearsal space. We used to do shows at Otsego before the pandemic, and uh, the lighting system in that auditorium has always been a little iffy. And this that is, is a... That is kind <laughs> to that lighting system. I know. I have been up in that grid. <laughs> And I'm not even talking about the lights on the stage. I'm talking about just the lights in the auditorium, like the wall sconces. Yeah. Um, and so because of, you know, pandemic 
hiatus for things. Uh, the crop of kids that I have right now largely haven't done a lot in the Atsego space. Um, most of them were too young for that. Um, sure. But I was working with them and they got freaked out by the lights flickering. And one of them was like, is that a ghost? And another one was like, his name's Jimmy. I've just decided. And then the light blinked and they're like, Jimmy, <laughs> blink twice if that's your name and you're here. And before 10 minutes had passed, they had all of this lore about the ghost of Otsego, whose name is Jimmy. There you go. That's how all of these stories start. Exactly. That sounds like a really good Patreon episode. <laughs> Inviting my students for on us, to talk for about this show. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Local ghosts and help us name the ghost like ghost. Exactly. So I don't know. Maybe I've been dealing the, with Jimmy the ghost, do. so I haven't really had a chance to explore Understood. the ghost like ghost. Understood. See, I've been in a the new Black Swamp Theater, which I don't believe has a ghost. Formally, like I don't believe right. there's mm-hmm. a, a a formal story, but that building has been so many other things, and has a super creepy basement, and then a super creepy sub basement and tunnels. Like, yes, I can't wait to hear those stories. Absolutely. But that's all from us for this week. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. And we'll leave the ghost light on for you. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.